I'm Bernie Crane. I'm John Crane. You're listening to the Jazz Session with Jason Crane, our dad. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Nicholas Payton. This is episode 384. The tour continues. I am, oddly enough, actually in Brooklyn as I record this, which is odd because two days ago I was in Tennessee, and tomorrow I'm going to be in North Carolina. Uh, but I did make a quick whirlwind trip back to New York, uh, if you can call a trip that requires... 18 hours one way of travel, <laughs> a whirlwind trip. Uh, and so in any case, I'm uh, briefly in a hotel room in Brooklyn, and I leave again tomorrow morning and head out back down south. It's been a fantastic tour so far. I had a great time in uh, Knoxville, including a fun poetry reading and an interview with uh, piano great and composer great Donald Brown, who actually then came to the poetry reading, which was super cool. And I am very much looking forward to heading down to uh, Raleigh and also to Atlanta and to Auburn, Alabama, where I have a poetry reading this coming up uh, week on the 29th, and I hope you can be there for that uh, in Auburn, Alabama. The details are at jasoncrane.org. And then I head on to maybe to Birmingham and then definitely to New Orleans, which is just, you know, stupidly exciting. I, I just can't wait. So all that is coming up. By next week, I'll be in New Orleans. And uh, man, that is a very sweet sentence. Thanks to the Respect Sextet for the theme music to this show. They're online at respectsextet.com. Thanks to Dave Rabel for the show's logo. Thanks to Rob Grundle for the Jazzer Bust logo. My guest today is a guy named Brian Settles, who is a saxophonist based in Washington, D.C., and he has an album called Secret Handshake that uh, made several best-of lists in 2011. I had a chance to see him play solo on the night that I arrived in D.C. and had a chance then to talk to him a couple of days later, which was really great. He's a just a very focused, very dedicated, uh, very conscientious musician, and uh, I really enjoyed the time that I spent with him. We'll hear that interview after we hear some music from Secret Handshake. And uh, before we get to those two things, let me just remind you that the tour could definitely use your support. In order to do that, it's very simple. You just go to either, well, actually, you can just go to one place, thejazzsession.com slash tour. And there you have a couple of choices. You can make a one-time donation to the tour and get the thank you gifts that come with that. Or you can become a recurring member of the show, as so many people are, and Make a small contribution each month or each year, depending on how you set it up. Either way, you're going to help support the tour and help keep the Jazz Session going uh, for years to come. So please do go to thejazzsession.com slash tour and support the show. And also, don't forget to go to jasoncrane.org, where I'm posting my tour diaries from the tour. You'll see photos and uh, little write-ups about all the things I do and places I go, and hopefully they're fairly interesting and it. Helps you keep track of what's happening on the tour. So do one of those two things. And meanwhile, let's check out some music from Brian Settles and then my conversation with Brian.
My guest is Washington, D.C.-based saxophonist Brian Settles, whose most recent album is called Secret Handshake on Engine Records. It's a real pleasure to, to meet you and have you on the show. Thanks for being here, man. Thanks for having me. I got to see you uh, solo the other evening, and I thought maybe we'd even start there and just talk about about solo playing and, and what kind of challenges or opportunities it offers you when it's just you who has to do everything that's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, that. Um, thanks for coming to that, by the way. But uh, that was probably my third opportunity to play solo saxophone for an extended period. And um, it was challenging, to say the least. All music is challenging to me, but um, that in particular, that setting in particular, as you, for all the reasons that you mentioned, um, I'll just tell you how I approached that particular performance. <clears throat> um, I had in mind to be as patient as I could and to try and build an improvisation with a few themes in mind. So um, I opened with a new theme that I've been working on, melody, and um, I tried to develop that um, with improvisation. So... um, that led to that took me after a certain point you just forget about the plans and just go with the flow but i in the back of my mind i definitely tried to keep track of where i was in my program um also just trying to be aware of the flow of the event <laughs> so uh i guess i segue between two themes and mostly improvisation. I'm interested to hear you say that you reminded yourself to be patient. Can you say a little more about that, about what that means? Yeah, you know, I want to... This this was a performance, and what I had no idea what to expect as far as the audience, but I knew I wanted to try and keep the audience's attention and not be redundant. Um, as a tenor player, there's certain devices that just, you know, we get used to to uh, using to uh, create tension or to just uh, just sounds, you know. But I wanted to really try and and create a piece, improvise a piece, um, and having just a few markers along the way to help guide me, to remind me to stay focused on creating something that had an arc that had a a smooth start beginning um a a peak of intensity and emotion and then a a decline of in 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 uh dynamics and in um uh space no you know space between notes and and um and i also tried to challenge myself to not rely on old habits or old patterns or things like that so uh i don't know what the music sounded like you know from a from the audience's perspective but that's that's what i was thinking about in approaching it um because in a traditional sort of ensemble jazz ensemble setting you're improvising with the other players and so it's a little bit it's it's a little easier for me in that situation to be completely free, you know, 
because I can just uh, be a part of the ensemble and compromise and flow. But this is just me in my head trying to uh, give a performance. But I, I mean, when I saw Jonah's performance after mine, I was really um, inspired, you know, by his approach um, with songs, just playing melodies, very little improvisation, but um, just playing songs and playing about seven or eight, you know, short songs. That was really interesting, too. So there are many ways to approach solo performing, but that's how I approached that last one. Well, it certainly held my attention. And and I think, I mean, solo performance to me, it kind of can run the spectrum. It can be really self-indulgent or it can be really fascinating because it seems like the artist is really trying for something. And it really sounded to me like you were trying. And I, I noticed, you know, toward the end of the piece when some of the same themes from the beginning recurred, I mean, it just, it, it felt very much like as much as you were improvising you also had some idea of where you were going, that there was something in your head that was kind of guiding you, which I really liked. I was really impressed by it. Thank so. you. Yeah, you're welcome. I want to talk about the record Secret Handshake, which got uh, a lot of really positive critical acclaim, which I really like. Um, It came out on Engine Records, which is a a small independent label that does a lot of great forward-thinking music. And uh, maybe we could start off just by talking about the people who are on that record with you and how you put this particular band together. Okay. Well, um, the band started in college or around that time period in the early 90s in New York, and um, just those are my my friends, you know. I mean, I have more friends than that. I'm proud to say, <laughs> but <laughs> but um, these guys, we uh, Jeremy Carlstead and Neil Pugersky in particular, um, the three of us were roommates, and Jean Marie, uh, the percussionist, we were all roommates um, in New York, and we came together in a house under the leadership of uh, Steve Neal, great bassist who passed away in 2010. Um, but he was our uh, mentor and, and spiritual leader. I mean, he really had a lot 
to share, a lot of experiences to share. That's an entirely different conversation. But um, that's where we really came together and connected musically. And my dream was to record with Steve on bass and with Jeremy on drums and Neil on piano because we lived together and played together a lot. And so um, didn't get a chance to record with Steve before he passed on, but it was with him in mind. And so um, when I moved to D.C., uh, I had every intention of just really sort of going inside and practicing, really trying to uh, think about all the experiences that I had up to that point and get my saxophone technique up to a a place where I could um, handle some of the ideas that I had. And it was during that time that I met Corcoran Holt, bassist. And um, he just, we connected right away in a spiritual way. And um, so he was the, I knew immediately that we would play together, you know, um, as long as we know each other. And so when Steve passed, it was natural that I asked Corcoran to join us. And he, we'd played together, he'd played with us before, so it wasn't, but um, I didn't know him as long as I knew Steve and as long as I've known Jeremy and Neil and Jean-Marie. Um, so that's how the band came together. So when it came time to make the record, uh, I've been playing with Jeremy and Neil for 15 years. Um, so they know we improvise well together. So my approach was to um, just write songs and, and improvise with the guys who know where I'm coming from musically. We've shared the same experiences. we listen to same stories uh, from our mentors. We've had the same teachers. Jeremy and I have had the same teachers since high school. Um, and Neil and I had the same teachers and Arnie Lawrence and Steve Neal. And so we have a common bond in that way. And um, like I said, we've been playing together for so long in different groups. So it was my opportunity to invite those guys to record with me and um, that's how it came about.
I like that the pieces on this record uh, have stories associated with them. They they have a they have a backstory. They have some kind of emotional grounding or intellectual grounding. And I thought maybe you could just talk about a couple of those stories. Uh, any pieces that you like on the record? Well, oh man, it's been. Let me see. This has been about two years, I guess, since we recorded. It will be this fall. So that was a while ago <laughs> as far as the uh, conceptualizing the album and, and writing. But um, the title, tra- not the title track, but the first track on the record is um, a song called Bison. And that really came out of my experience as a grad student at Howard University. And that was just such an intense period, not so much of you know the the studies I mean the music isn't a result of you know writing projects or anything in school. It's just a reflection on that experience um, and I guess let me see, I finished there in two thousand eight, and so this album came together in two thousand ten, so it was a two year period of reflection on that experience. What what made it so intense, if there are things that aren't too well, personal to talk about? The first thing is, you know, it had been 10 years since I was in college. So, you know, I'm, I'm an adult at this point, and I'm going to school with kids under 21, you know, taking classes, and that didn't bother me at all, but it it energized me you know I mean I really felt like I had another opportunity to do better in school (laughs) I mean that's really what it boils down to man I mean I'm not going to try to make it deep it's like I graduated you know undergrad but I was by no means a good student as far as you know classes are concerned I had some classes that I think about to this day but I wasn't the best student. But at Howard, you know, I, I, I had a purpose and was very excited to study with Charlie Young, who was the saxophone professor there. And um, I just, I studied hard, you know. I really worked hard. I really put um, all of my time and effort into, into that, those two years. And it was just an intense time for me um, musically, as far as growth and the discoveries that I made uh, during that period, and uh, the opportunities I had to perform and travel, and just this the uh, sense of pride that I felt once I finished at this uh, great institution that my grandparents went to and that I sort of avoided for many years. My family wanted me to go to Howard when I finished school. They they were open to other ideas, but their first choice for me was Howard. So I'm glad that I went eventually. Their first choice was Howard because of that family Yeah, connection? well, my grandmother studied. She got her master's in music at Howard and um, organ and piano and chorus. And um, my great aunt went there. My grandfather got his uh, he's doctorate, I think, in theology there. So, I mean, you know, there's a history of uh, bison in my 
family. So um, we should probably mention for folks who don't know that Bison is the name of the teams that come from Howard and the yeah, students sorry about at Howard. That. Right. <laughs> That's the mascot. otherwise it's a random, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> totally random connection. It is. <laughs> Um, so anyway, that's just an, an emotionally intense time, you know. Yeah. Um, and so that tune, just for me, sort of represents the vastness of knowledge and information there and in the world. But they're focusing there with the history and the libraries and all the great students and just the foundation um, in the community that that Howard has been, you know, and um, so yeah, it's just it was more than I could have imagined it would be for me. Aside, very little to do with the music, more just just an um, intensely emotional experience. Sure, and I could have asked you a, a better question, uh, I guess, which would be this, which is that a lot of the record seems intensely connected to family i mean there's uh, uh the what you just mentioned with the family lineage at howard even the name of the band is an homage to your grandfather's church yeah there's a piece on there that's inspired i think by a, a paper your wife was work your wife was working on about billy holiday yeah. there's a piece inspired by a self-published uh work of literature in your family i mean it's just there are a lot of things that are just intensely connected to to who you are they feel very rooted in who you are and where you came from is that is that something that's always been important to you as it changes you've gotten older um no that's that's always been important to me um you know i'll try to make this quick but you don't have to okay <laughs> well when you have a working band or when one has a working band and you're sort of out there on the road or playing uh locally uh on a weekly basis you have time to develop Material and then the ideal scenario is you you're working with your band and you're growing together and writing music and then you find yourself in the studio for two or three days and you knock out a record and it's very cohesive and the band feels connected and the improvisation is sparkling and all of that and you know that's one one scenario for me it was um, I was in in a very uh, focused period of my life as far as music practicing and and really um, working on my schooling and just and I mean by schooling I mean reflecting all the way back to high school just really trying to put it together and um, get organized to move ahead and um, that process that process just leads to composition led to compositions led to thoughts on improvisations um how i would like to approach improvising uh as a soloist and so i have all these ideas floating around and then i get a call that says hey do you want to make a record so i wasn't on tour with my band but i already had a band you know um, I mean, we had been dreaming of making records since we were kids, you know. And so, um, and then we've made records with other groups and we've done our thing individually after we sort of parted ways from, from the house in Brooklyn. And so, um, but it felt as if we were 
together playing, you know, before we recorded. Um, so once I got organized, I had to really sit down and think about, okay, that I consider a family of musicians, but what's my approach to the album? You know, what did I want to do? And so I didn't think too hard. I just looked around my space, you know, pictures of my grandparents, um, my great aunt's book, uh, you know, all of my papers and books from school. Um, you know, just I just wrote about what what's around me, you know. And so, but also looking ahead and thinking about the album as a contribution, um, I wanted to start there so that my family, um, you know, is represented in my uh, in my documents, you know. So that's that's what that's about. And I really feel like I mean, my grandparents and parents taught me and showed me that growing up, uh, just the importance of of family and legacy and um, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Was this period of intense work that you went through and that involved Howard, um, was that in reaction to something? Was that, I mean, did you look around at some point and say, if I'm going to get to whatever the next stage of my career is, I need to do something differently than what I'm doing? Or was it just a natural progression? From um, It was a natural progression. I mean, in my mind, I've been on one path since the beginning. I mean, there's no... Uh, just been on one path as a musician um, to play music and to be um, free, you know. That's just, and I'm just going to do what I need to do to stay on course. Um, and so I would say just growing naturally, that's where I was at that point, and today I am where I am. But I would say the biggest change I made was leaving New York to really get my stuff together in the way that I thought at that time I needed to. 
And at that time, my thinking was um, develop the instrument to the best, you know, um, of my ability to spend as much time as I can practicing and to supplement or to pay for that time by doing any odd job. But it was of no interest to me to earn a living as a performing musician at that time. It was really I just needed some time to just have no pressure of what I'm going to play on the next job, you know. That that bothered me. That's really not in harmony with what my goals are musically. You know, I just, I mean, maybe I started out that way, wanting to be a, a jazz musician and be recognized, um, you know, jazz musician, but that changed, you know. That changed over time. It just... Um, just want to be just be me you know and and be creative all the things that i learned from jazz music about creativity and and about improvisation and sound and all those things are those are universal elements as far as the music is concerned but um i learned them through listening to jazz or by listening to jazz so but i don't see myself in the future as this a jazz musician in my suit, you know, on the in the smoky jazz club where we don't have smoke anymore, but you know, that kind of thing. That that changed maybe like ten years after I decided to play music. But um so to backtrack a little bit, the people on the record have a similar uh outlook. You know, we all have a, a similar understanding about music and about intent, things that we learn from our mentors. And so that's the focus. And I kind of always have known that as long as I stay dedicated, that I'll have an opportunity to to record and to play live music um, for people. And that's really what I want to do. You say that fairly easily because you've been thinking it for a long time but to hear it it's remarkable I, the only parallel I can think is maybe that famous example of Sonny Rollins you know taking a, a leave of absence from the scene and just practicing for a couple of years until he felt like he could be where he wanted to be instrumentally I mean that idea that I'm going to not worry about the day to day business of having to scrape for gigs and I'm just going to you know, almost like have a musical retreat or something where I'm I'm going to get myself instrumentally to where I want to be. I mean, that's a it's a mature idea, but it also strikes me as kind of a scary idea. I mean, there's there's no guarantee you get to come out the other side of that and still have a career or that yeah. it's going to work. Or I mean, do, what what do you remember what motivated that or what what made that change? I just never saw it any other way. Hmm. I'm just a real. I love history. And, you know, I love to read the biographies and the autobiographies. I mean, I was just, I have been for the last 20 years obsessed with jazz music and the the individuals and their lives and the history and, and just um, over the last hundred plus years, we kind of have a, 
a couple roadmaps, you know, of like ways to approach a career as a jazz musician. You know, you, but of course we notice the peaks in the landscape and not so much the total landscape, you know, or, or do we take in as much of it as we can? We just stay distracted or not distracted, but focused on, you know, um, Charlie Parker and, uh, uh, Duke Ellington, Louis Armstrong. I mean, that's, you know, those are Mount Rushmore type figures. But then you have in history, the guys who actually carved those, uh, faces out of rock, you know, or, or, people who make the the instruments i mean every little detail about the life um is interesting to me but the one thing that the common thing that i found in my heroes is that they never seemed to consider anything other than what they were doing and i'm of the opinion that if you have any doubt then chances are you're not going to uh, succeed in the way that you possibly envision yourself. Um, and I think with maturity, we arrive at a place where hopefully we can accept the circumstances and then try to uh, reformulate our ideals or ideas about life. Um, I've made many sacrifices that's for sure. I mean, I don't, my wife and I, we don't have children. Um, we have very little in the way of uh, responsibilities, you know, as far as um, cars and houses and, you know, those kinds of things. Um, but like I said, man, I've never wanted to do anything other than uh, play the horn, the saxophone, and and improvise and, and just play music. All oh, those are the things that excite me. And um, so, but before I made that decision to sort of take a break from the music scene or the New York scene, uh, I had just done a lot of reading and thinking. I read a lot of Hazrat, Inyat Khan, and like. I have no idea who that is. Okay, he's, he's a, a Sufi philosopher. And um, he he's written a lot, or a lot of his speeches and talks have been transcribed. And is trans he someone who's still alive? Or? No. no. Okay. He may have some surviving children um, that sort of carry on his work. But anyway, the the whole point it's just um, it's it's more or less about the vision. And the reality or one's personal reality, you know. So, I mean, there are all the other things that are associated with life, especially in America and, and the American dream and the pressure from your peers as you get older to, you know, uh, have the things that adults have, I guess. <laughs> but, um, yeah, man, I just I don't think about it as much as others i just think about where i see myself like i said it's just an obsession man so um that's the best that i can think of to describe what i was going through or thinking about at that time but i mean i'd read about it you know you read about eric dolphy 
taking some time, Charlie Parker, um, Sonny Rollins, you know. I mean, it just seems, that seems like a course of action if you're in that, if you're inspired in that way. So I sort of followed in their footsteps or used their experience of their life as a guide to help me in that process. Talk about uh, some of the the projects that you're involved in now. Some of the places where people can find you playing. And yes, um, been playing a lot in the last two years or so with Toma Fujiwara and the Hookup, and that's been a great, fulfilling experience for me. Um, I'll just bust in to mention for folks that Toma was on the show a couple weeks ago, so they can look in the archives and, oh, and right. find that. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah, that's that's a great band. I love playing um, Toma's music and um, with the musicians in that group. Um, and then in, that's in New York. And in D.C., I've been working a lot with Brad Lindy, who you interviewed. Um, and he has so many things going on. Uh, I've had the opportunity to really sort of indulge in in some of the periods that I've that I'm a fan of you know early jazz and and bebop era and swing era and hard bop I mean they they really uh, Brad and, and, and his ensemble have sort of made it a mission to touch on some of these styles of music and try and and do justice to them and what I like about that approach is uh, we don't really have repertory bands but guys get together and, and really work on a few tunes some of the repertoire and then put up on a performance and so does that does that uh, change for you in some way the things that you may have read about or listened to but to then be kind of viscerally involved in actually producing that music does it give you another perspective on um, what it is you know, I I don't know. I would just say simply that 
again, being a student of the music, having the opportunity to sort of play uh, Ellington charts or, for example, I played with the Smithsonian Jazz Masterworks Orchestra and we did some of the music from Sacred Concerts by Duke Ellington. Um, I just, you know, it just, I don't think I would want to do that forever, but it was fun, you know, and I enjoy those, I enjoy having those opportunities. Um, and it's because I, I mean, I really have studied that music. I mean, I, I kind of feel like I know what it should sound like if I have the opportunity. I think I can be authentic in the production of the sound as far as the tenor is concerned and phrasing and articulation and those kinds of things. Um, yeah, so that's exciting, you know, because I, I try to keep that out of my own music. So I'm trying to be as original as I can, but occasionally having those opportunities is fulfilling for me. Mm. And you're also leading your own band around town? Yeah, well, you know, I, I have, I'm playing with a, a band led by drummer Lenny Robinson. It's called Mad Curious. It's a trio, drums, bass, and saxophone. And we've been playing together for a couple of years around town and um that's a that's a a great band too I, I love playing in that setting there was a period i would say maybe three or four years ago in dc where i had a a regular gig and so you know i would use that format bass drums and saxophone and a rotation of guys but usually it's either taurus mateen um and and there are other players that the DC scene is small, you know. So um, there are a handful of bass players and drummers, and we just kind of make it work. But uh, lately, I've just been playing with Central Union um, and the Hookup, and um, and that's been pretty. That's taken up most of my time as far as performances go, um, and just other gigs as a freelance artist sure uh, part of the reason for this tour that i'm on is to find people who are not in new york who mm -hmm. are making creative music mm -hmm. and uh now it's been you know quite a number of years since you made that decision to come back to the dc area and i wonder as you as you look back on it now uh, what kind of changes if any do you think it's made in the in the course that your musical life has taken um well i don't know if i can say you know, because I didn't have any expectations, really. I felt pretty grounded um, as far as mentally, as far as my ideas are concerned. I just really didn't have, <clears throat> could have been anywhere at that moment. Uh, I, I arrived in D.C. Circumstances brought me here. But at, when I was making that decision, I had several places in mind um, it was less about the location and more about just having some time to myself. Uh, I, I found myself in a in a routine, and um, but not really studying. So, the best thing so far, as musically speaking, has been going back to school. Um, I was practicing regularly, you know, at home, and had a lot of things that needed addressing and my wife is actually the one who got the ball rolling she went to howard first to get her master's degree in uh, 
performance and voice. And um, she finished. I played on her recital. And the uh, head of the instrumental music department, Fred Irby, asked me if I wanted to go to go back to school. I initially said no. You know, I had no interest. Um, I just I just finished watching my wife go through a year and a half of full time grad school and working, and it was you know it was heavy, man. So I was like, no, nah, it's okay. You know, I mean, in the, in that period, I had done two records, one in New York and one in Philly with Tom Abs and uh, Neil Pygursky, and I was playing with Neil's band regularly at that time. He had a great band out of Philly called New Fire. And so I felt pretty good um, musically. You know, I, I wasn't turning any gigs down. You know, I just I wasn't actively pursuing a solo career. But I was still connected with all the musicians that I continue to play with today. I was still playing with Chad Taylor and making trips up to New York to play creative music and picking up a few social gigs in D.C. and so I mean, you know, I I was still I still felt like I was on my path, you know, to where I wanted to, how I wanted to work, and um, I just said, you know, time does fly, and I think I can knock out two years, and my wife encouraged me, and um, so I did that, and that was what changed. That's it didn't change; it sort of accelerated. Uh, my progress um, musically, my musicianship. You know, I, it's one thing to practice alone, but then to be with others and share ideas and write those ideas down and really develop them and and to to study and research with a purpose, with more of a sense of urgency rather, and um, and to just share in that energy of people studying other things you know because up to that point I'd been in conservatories Duke Ellington School of the Arts and the New School in New York those are both conservatories so this was a real sort of uh, college campus feel for me so that was just exciting man and and I, I, I felt more equipped and prepared to be um, to a solo artists or to be Brian Settle's whatever trio quartet and take a band out and and I I learned more about responsibility during that time and so that was what I was looking for you know the whole time you think you're looking for music stuff you know and no it's it wasn't that it was those other things those intangibles you know it's like okay this is about some other some other stuff and um that's that period where i said it's about family it's about um you know education it's about teaching and giving back and so um i i didn't i, I didn't do that in new york you know i didn't so um that was just me running around the city chasing after my mentors and heroes and just living the life of a musician but um to 
there needs to be a sense of balance or there needs to be balance to have longevity the way I see it. And so I knew, intuitively, I guess, I knew I needed more to add to um, just the notes, you know. Brian, would you tell me about the Washington Jazz Arts Institute? I'd love to. Um, the Washington Jazz Arts Institute is an uh, institute for jazz studies for high school age kids. And it's a program started by my high school saxophone teacher and current lifelong mentor, Davey Yarbrough. And Davey Yarbrough is a Washington, D.C., uh, saxophonist and educator in the community he's been uh, just a tremendous mentor to many 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 musicians and it's always been his dream to have a a place outside of Duke Ellington School of the Arts to um, teach music jazz music in particular to kids for free and um so during the school year, we meet every Saturday from 9 to 1. And in the summer, we have a four- to five-week program where we meet Monday through Friday, 9 to 1. And the kids sign up through the D.C. government, and they get paid. Uh, it's a summer job for them, for most of them. The kids who come from outside of the district earn community service. But the program, um, my wife and I have been teaching with Davey for seven years now, uh, every summer. And it's just a very important, um, it's an important thing for D.C. music and, and the education of, music education of young folks, you know. And I started studying with Davey when I was 15 years old. And so I saw him almost every day for four years, and he taught me uh, just about everything I know about saxophone and and jazz and big band music. 
And so um, it's just been important to me to stay connected with him. So when I did get to D.C., uh, I connected with him right away. And as a matter of fact, he's the one that put me in touch with Corcoran Holt, who was one of his students. So um, so that's he's always looking out for us. And, and in turn, we um, we make it a point to give back through him and through his organization. So I just I did want to mention that because um, uh, it's just a great, great experience for me. And I, I really do enjoy just sort of sharing the information that I've picked up with the students. So that's fun. Folks are listening to this interview in uh, in late June of 2012, and I know there's some upcoming uh, an upcoming performance by Central Union. Will you talk about that? Yes, we are performing on July 1st at 7 p.m. at the Bohemian Caverns Jazz Club in Washington, D.C., part of uh, Transparent Productions a series. It's called Sundays at 7 at Bohemian Caverns. My guest is the saxophonist Brian Settles. His record on Engine is called Secret Handshake, and it's been such a pleasure to, to meet you and have you on the show. Thank, Thank you very you. much, man. Thank you. music from saxophonist Brian Settles and his album Secret Handshake. I'm Jason Crane. This is the Jazz Session, sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Nicholas Payton. You can become a member or donate to the tour either way at thejazzsession.com slash tour. Please do that because it's what keeps the show going. You can join the mailing list at thejazzsession.com. Just click on mailing list up top. You can follow me on Twitter at Jason D. Crane, D as in David. And then I hope that you will get out there and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session.
Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye.